Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week, we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. There are leaders all around us and not just from the business sector. Many of us will agree that these leaders make a huge difference to those they lead. Leader Talk is a show that brings leadership insights to small and medium-sized business owners from around the world, and today we are excited to explore leadership insights through the prism of elite sport. Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Catherine Canooley from the Western Sydney Wanderers. Catherine will be sharing her lessons on leadership, discipline and teamwork from a life lived in a world of elite sport. Catherine will show you as a business owner how you can adopt some principles of success from elite sport, whether as an athlete, coach or manager, and then apply these to business. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Natalie. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Gus. Like I said, it's, it's a pleasure to be here and spend um, this afternoon with, with you both. Thank Thanks, you. Catherine. Catherine, we begin each of these shows with two fun questions that we ask the guests, and we've prepared your two here. So we'd love to ask you, what was your first job? My first job was actually at Workout World, which is a, a fitness equipment um, place, and it was basically um, I'd never held a job before, so my parents had said, you know, I think you should start to get some experience, and, um, yeah, I applied for this job and, and I started working part-time. Oh, that's fantastic. And the second question, simple one, Messi or Ronaldo? I'd have to say Ronaldo just because of uh, how hard he's worked to become the athlete that he is today. I think um, if you look at what he's done and the way he's transformed his his body, it's absolutely phenomenal. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I love that reason. <laughs> and um, Catherine, before we go into some questions and have a discussion, just wanted to ask you if you can share your story with us. Tell us a bit about yourself so everyone out there listening knows your story. Yeah, look. Um, I was just a, a young girl that was absolutely obsessed with football from from a young age. I think growing up in an Italian household, I didn't have really much of a choice but to love football. That was the only sport that we watched in our house and it was the only sport that we actually got out of the house to go and watch. Um, yeah, look, I come from an Italian background, so it was sort of you know ingrained in us and, and we would always get up at all hours of the morning to watch the Italian national team. Um, and it was at the age of about eight years old that, that I wanted to start to play football. And again, you know, back back in those days, over 20 years ago, um, you know, speaking to my parents about wanting to play and it was sort of frowned upon for, for young females to go and play football because there was, wasn't really uh, any teams, any any girls' teams. I'd have to go and play with the boys. And eventually one afternoon um, my father was heavily involved at Marconi Football Club and, um, we snuck out of the house and, and I started training with with the boys team um, a couple of days a week and I just started off with training and I think people seen that there was um, something there 
with football and myself. And the following year, um, I was the first ever uh, female to ever play in, in a Marconi boys team. So it was breaking barriers from, from a young age. Um, I played there for a few years and um, people who said it was political that I, that I was uh, in the team. But, um, you know, the qualities of, of my football and, you know, that, that I had something was there because I was a leading goal scorer for three years in an all-boys team, which, again, was, you know, back in those days was really, really tough for a young um, female to, to sort of be in that environment, the only girl and, you know, parents talking about you and, you know, why is she playing and my son's not playing and, you know, playing at Marconi was, was the pinnacle of, of youth football um, back in those days. And I got to the age of 13 and um, the president of the association said that um, because I was a young female, I wasn't allowed to continue on and, and play with the boys and they'd banned me from, from playing with the boys at at the age of 13, they said it wouldn't be right that I'd be sharing a change room with boys. And, and back then it was very difficult. Um, there was no just female-only team. The only team that there was was a, a senior women's team. So at the age of 13, I had to go and basically go into an all-age uh, women's team. So I was playing against, you know, ladies, 25, 30-year-old women um, at the age of 13, which was which was a massive jump not only physically but also you know mentally to be a young 13 year old girl playing with with full-grown women so um, I spent a few years at Marconi in the senior women's program and then eventually transitioned into the New South Wales Institute of Sport program which was an elite program um, for young females at at the time that were recognized and um, discovered throughout the the football uh, competition so from there it was really when my where my journey really kicked off and, and I went on to play for, for the junior Matildas. Um, I went on to play for, for the actual Matildas as well. I uh, played in the W League, so I'm a former W League player, a former Matilda now. Um, but, yeah, look, it was very difficult back in my day in terms of juggling, you know, full-time work. Then I had to start to get into work and, and wanting to be a full-time athlete as well, which was quite, quite difficult. Um, and it was in... 2014 where I decided that um, I was going to retire from the game because I just couldn't give it my all in terms of playing full-time and, and trying to, um, you know, keep keep a job and, and focus on my career outside of football because, unfortunately, as a female footballer back then, it was very difficult to, to make a wage and, um, you know, I had to think about life after football and how I would, you know, getting to, you know, buying a house and, and making ends meet and, and actually living. So, yeah, look, I was one of the lucky ones that got to live out my dream. I played at the highest level uh, in Australia and I, I got to represent my country, which was fantastic. But I also went through some hiccups there at, at a younger age. At about 18, I decided to give the game away for a few years and wasn't enjoying it and wasn't um, didn't have that spark, you know, in and around the game that, that I normally had. Um, and fortunate enough that with some good people around me and and the, getting that spark back again, I, I came back and actually um, got to get back into the, the W League now, which is called the the A League Women's now. Um, but prior to that, it, it wasn't called it wasn't called that. It was just a, a national summer league. Um, but yeah, look, it's been a fantastic journey for me. I took a few years off after playing, and now. Um, I'm, I'm the head coach of the Western Sydney Wanderers, um, which for me, it's again, of uh, it's the, the pinnacle of our sport and 
you know, to be a head coach at, at the highest level in Australia is, uh, is, is a fantastic achievement for myself. Well, congratulations. Uh, I have a question on, on your story, if you don't mind, Nev, uh, before we go through leadership questions. Uh, the, the, the two things that uh, come up to me when you share your story, Catherine, at the young age, uh, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm sure you will feel that you are unfairly treated because, you know, even to the extent, you know, uh, there is a boys team, there's no girls team. And then on the age, on uh, 18, you you lose your spark and then you just said, I don't want to do this anymore. You are surrounded by good people and then you come back. Um, you must have a lot of resilient capacity in your body to to to, to keep going uh, and now becoming the head coach of a, you know, uh, a very high level uh, uh, clubs. Uh, so, so tell me your journey from the resilient lens. How do you, how, you know, from a very young age, you, you face a lot of adversity uh, around your career. Yeah, I think when, obviously when I was in it, you don't realize, but now when I look back and think about what I went through from a young age, um, I think back and think, wow, like I think that's what, shaped me and actually made me the person that I am today as well because um, I find that, you know, sometimes, you know, me within, you know, an environment, especially as a, as a football coach, the environment is I'm always around a very male-dominated uh, industry and I find it, you know, very easy to connect with a lot of my um, male colleagues and, and that could have been the reason behind me spending so much time with Um, with boys from a young age and playing with them and, and training with them and, and growing up around boys for for a long period of time. Um, but yeah, definitely make, making me resilient as a as a player, as a person, and now as a coach because um, you're constantly competing for for a position and you know playing at the high, highest level in, in youth football with boys. You always got to sort of um, you know you got to sort of prove your existence there. Because you're not just fighting for a spot, you're fighting for a spot as a female player against those boys as well. So that was always quite difficult. And, you know, the negative comments from, from the sidelines, from parents and, um, you know, and, and from a young age I'd always learn to, to block it out. And, you know, my father would always say to me, let your football do the talking, you know, so don't worry about what's being said on, on the sideline just let your football do the talking because you earn the respect on the football field when you're scoring goals and, and when you're doing the great things on, on the football pitch. So um, my whole life has sort of revolved around those words um, that, you know, people, if they're talking about you, let them talk about you because if they're talking about you, you're doing something right in, in my books and um, I can keep delivering whether it's, you know, as a player or as a coach um, because, Yeah, I think it's it's super important that you know resilience is something that you need not only as as an athlete but just as an as a person in general these days. Fantastic, you know, Catherine. I'm curious. I've seen your leadership style firsthand, and you were recently promoted from assistant coach to head coach. So I'd love to know: has your leadership style actually changed from going from assistant coach to head coach? Has it changed at all? Look, I always said to myself when I would get a head coach um, role that I wouldn't change who I am. Um, a lot of 
coaches go from assistant coaches uh, and then they go to head coaches and then they change, you know, the person that they are. And for me, uh, I'm a big believer in that I've got to stay true to myself in terms of my values and and what I want out of my team. So whether I'm an assistant coach or, or a head coach, my values and the way I treat my players and what I would do for my players is the exact same. Probably the only difference is now is that the decisions now are made by me. So that's going to be the toughest part of the job is, you know, when it comes down to, to a Friday night and we're sitting there and we have to pick the team, I'm not just putting my opinion across anymore. I'm going to be the one that's actually going to be making those decisions. And then, you know, what are the conversations that are going to be held with with those players that, you know, don't make the 16 um, man squad or the players that are going to be on the bench on the weekend, you know, what type of conversations am I going to be having with those players? Because it's super, super important for me as a leader and as a coach that, you know, it's not just about the 16 players that make, you know, the team sheet on the weekend because at the end of the day, you don't know when you will have to call on one of those players that's from 16 to number 23 because, you know, as a as a team sport, there's injuries, there's so many different circumstances that we might come across that, you know, we need to make sure that all 23 players are always ready to be able to take that pitch and, and be able to give and, and provide us with, you know, 150% effort, which I always talk about. Uh, Kathleen, do you mind to share with us what's what's your leadership values that you talk about that we can implement as a small, medium business leaders? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first one that I always talk about is respect. You know, we have to have respect for, for each other, um, respect for one another, and we need to make sure that every time we take the pitch, you know, we're taking it with with a great attitude because in football we talk a lot about tactics, you know. So I can sit there and I can work on tactics for, you know, two, three, four hours a week, but if the girls don't turn up on the weekend and, or during the week and don't have the right attitude and not willing to give me that 150% effort, then all the tactics and everything that we'd worked on and the strategies that we've worked on throughout the week would actually go out, out the window. And when we talk about attitude, it's, you know, if we relate it back to football, you know, we talk about if you lose the ball, what are your reactions? Do you just put your hands on your heads and you sort of let yourself down? Or are you up within one second and trying to win that ball back? You know, so we want to see players doing things with attitude, with intent. Um, so I can see that, you know, they might not get back there to win that ball, but at least I know that they tried their hardest to want to to get back there and do it. And that for me means so much more than a player that just stops and just walks and just gives up. Oh, I can go. I can go on and on around that topic. I just, uh, I think your message is just absolutely outstanding around that, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important, Gus, as well. You know, because if you look, if you relate this to to a business side of things, it's like you know your employees they they won't always get it right, right? So, but if they're coming and they're asking for help, or you see that they're trying to do something. At least that's better than them sitting behind their desk and sort of waiting for you or somebody to go up to them and say, hey, why don't you try this? So it's a sort of a, a similar scenario. Yes. Catherine, you mentioned previously about, you know, now you have to make these tough decisions. And obviously, you know, uh, there will be consequences with some decisions. How do you deal with that? Like, you know, obviously you'll make a decision, could go in your favour, but it could also go the complete opposite 
as a leader, how do you actually overcome that? Because I make mistakes and, you know, I ponder on them for quite some time. It's sometimes hard to just stop and, you know, move on. So how do you do that as a head coach? Yeah, look, I think it's it's a really, really difficult one. Um, and whether I'm making the right decision or not, um, only time will tell, you know, because you won't know until, you know, we come to the game and, you know, when you're analysing, you know, post-game and you're going through the re- reviews and, and everything. So for us, you know, as, as, a, as a leader and as a head coach in, in an elite space, um, I would always say to the girls, look, if this is a, uh, a decision that I have made which I have to live and die by, okay, whether it's the right one or wrong one, we, time will only tell, but they need to have enough respect for us as leaders to accept that decision um, you know, we can talk about reasons of why they haven't made made that t- the team, um, and we can say, okay, this is the reason why you didn't make it today. Whether it's a, a tactical reason, whether it's you know a fitness reason, whether it's um, you know a technical thing that they you know can't compete on on that uh, pitch with. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons, and what I find especially in in the female um, space is a lot of the girls want to know why, why they didn't, why they didn't make the team or why they're on the bench. And I think that's important for, for a leader and as, as a coach to be able to um, find the time to actually sit down and, and have that chat with them. So with me, in terms of the way that um, we deliver our, our team, so we will say who our 16 is that will be travelling or who will be coming to the game. Um, I don't normally... Um, tell them straight away so if there's girls that I know that are going to be left out of the squad what I'll do is I'll speak to them previous previous um to go into training that morning or going onto the pitch so when the actual team does come out that I've already spoken to those girls that aren't aren't in the squad one-on-one yeah uh, Catherine can I uh, also ask on that um when when you mentioned that you know when you don't select a key player's Uh, they tend to ask why. In business, is similar. When we promote someone, there is other people don't get it. They ask why. Uh, and then after after a while, I see a trend, a trend of people that never get it. And then after a certain period of time, they jump so high because because they're not focusing on why they never get it. They keep improving. So now, if you have to give the characteristic of a successful player, that throughout their journey, I'm sure not not many players just having it easy, like every time get big, every time get prized, every time get, you know, get the great club. Um, am I correct to say most elite players will face a lot of challenges, disappointments, and then when you look back, you see the similar characteristic around acceptance and focus on improvement. Is, am, I, am I right on that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I've got this saying that I always say, it's um, uh, hard work beats talent, you know, because you can be talented at something, but if you don't want to work hard for it, um, 
you know, it'll be very difficult for you to continue on. And, you know, you'll see different people have different pathways, you know, and some people will have that easy road to the top where they, they're constantly being picked for, you know, um, state teams and national teams. Or in, in the business world, we can relate that to, you know, always getting that promotion, promotion, always being that person that's always getting promoted. And then you get the, to the person that, you know, gets left out of state teams or gets left out of national teams or is not getting promoted in, in the business world. And, you know, it sort of gives you that fire in your belly to want to work harder and want to, you know, find ways and find solutions of, um, you know, how can I better myself? How can I improve? What can I do to to reach the top? And sometimes what I find um, obviously being involved in football from, you know, grassroots level all the way through to the professional side of things is that you will see that, different people will people that have had the easy run in, in the beginning they will get to a point where they sort of stop and they plateau and then what you'll see is, is the other ones will actually start to come through and they start to overtake and sometimes you'll find you know an athlete that around 18 17 18 you're thinking wow this this kid's going to play for australia or 15 16 they're going to play for australia they've got the traits they've got this they've got that and all of a sudden the kid that was a little bit more behind is working so, so hard and, and the one that we think that's got the talent and everything sort of stops working hard because they're sort of there, there or thereabouts and then you just see those other kids start start to overtake. And I think the, the most important message from that is no matter what your talents are and no matter how good you are, in no matter what field you are, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a, you know, a business owner, whether you're a coach, Never forget that the learning never stops and that you need to continue to keep, um, you know, practising your trade and making sure that, you know, you're, you're getting better and you're evolving with what's going on and, um, and that you don't stop practising and, and you keep working hard because once you stop, there's always someone there behind you or beside you that wants to work better and that does want to overtake you. Yeah. And. And Catherine, you mentioned uh, previously the importance of feedback in helping people grow. As a coach, how hard is it to strike that balance between actually pushing people to grow and then not actually being too critically hard on them to actually crush them? Like, how do you strike that balance? I think first and foremost, you need to build the relationship with the person, you know. So once you have a relationship with the person, then you can re think about how you're going to approach it. So if I don't have a good relationship with a player yet, then I probably won't, you know, blast them on the field straight away, you know. But if I know my relationship with that that player, that I've got a great relationship with them, so I know that, you know, I can maybe be a little bit harder with her on the pitch, then I know that when we come off the pitch, I can say, hey, um, you know, Nat, you know, I know I was a bit tough on you today, but you know, I only, I'm only doing this because I want you to be better. But I know what that player is like, you know, on and off the field because I know that I can speak to her like that um, in a way that I can push her and that I can, um, you know, try and get a little bit more out of her. But I think the most important thing is is knowing your players and knowing each and every one of them because they're all different. So you need to be really um, understanding in that space because, you know, if you've got a player that, you know, doesn't like to be, you know, pushed, especially in, in a group environment. You know, she might be one that you might need to pull aside after training and maybe do, you know, some video review and where you can show them where they've gone wrong. So it's an understanding of 
what your player needs and what they want but also how are you nurturing them how can you get the best out of them because each and every player is is completely different um, and it's your job as a leader and, and as a head coach to know each individual and you know in Australia we call them coaches but overseas we, we call them managers you know so a head coach is called a manager because their job is to manage every little bit of of the team um, and and that's the reason why is, is to be able to get the best out of um, you know our players and, and know what makes them tick and and understand how to how to get the best out of them which will then if you get the best out of them individually, then as a unit, collectively, you know, where we're going to be a lot more successful. I have a simple question for you that I think a lot of people think they know, but I think it's actually more complex than this question. You mentioned that knowing your players, equally knowing your team in your organization is key because then you know how to treat them well and how to push them to the right direction. Can you give us some strategy of how do you know your team? How do you, like knowing your team, everyone understand how to know someone because we engage it. But I, I see many leaders fail in doing this simple stuff. Now, if you, if I, if I'm an owner of a kebab shop, sorry, Ned, I'm coming back as a kebab shop today, being, <laughs> being 3.30 in the afternoon, talking to a, a little I need to eat right now. If I'm an owner of a kebab shop and I have three people working for me, is it any simple strategy so I can engage well, know my team well from your experience as a as a coach? 100%. I think sometimes even just picking up the phone. You know, w- when I got this job and once I signed all my players, um, I made sure that I... Um, you know, met with each player individually. Normally I would do that at a cafe over a coffee, but this this year was a little bit different. Um, So we caught up over Zoom, you know, and it was just an informal chat just to, you know, talk about, you know, what do they do for work, Um, you know, family, what's their lifestyle like, just general general chit-chat around, you know, what they like, what are their interests, and just having that conversation just to show um, once you show somebody that you care, and, and you're going to give them the time of the day and, and want to know about their life and what they do and how they do things, I think that's how you get people to go above and beyond for you. So whether it's an athlete or an employee, I think you want to get the best out of them and to get the best out of them, once you show them that you care and that you actually um, want the best for them, you know, employees, athletes, whoever it may be, when you ask them for something, if you need them to stay back and do an extra shift or you need them to stay back because you guys need to meet, meet a deadline, that employee or that athlete's going to go the extra mile for you because they know that you generally care about them. Isn't it interesting, Matt, when we listen to Catherine mentioning this? Not long ago, we interviewed Max Garcia, Sergeant Mayor from, uh, from US Marine, and he said, you know, know your team, understand them engage with them. So this is two different. One is elite athlete coach. One is uh, veterans in the very elite army. Uh, The message is the same. And yet many leaders think that engage is as simple as taking everyone to a pub. Yet what Catherine mentioned, there's nothing about let's go out to a pub. We're talking about call them, 
understand them, talk to them. Uh, isn't it interesting how simple it is? Uh, yet not many doing it consistently. That's that's my view. The importance of this is so important. It's very important as well for, for myself as a head coach, and and I probably forgot to mention as well. It's just not my players; it's my staff as well. You know, so my staff need to be, um, you know, well looked after as well. So the way I, I look after my players is, is the same way that I look after my staff. I make sure that, you know, I know about them. I know what's going on in their lives. Um, not to sound like a busy body or anything, but, you know, <laughs> to understand them and, and know, you know, what they're going through because, you know, I, I'm only as good as the person beside me and my staff is part of, of my journey and my staff is, is so important to, to what I'm doing because they need to have the belief in, in me and they also need to be rowing the boat in the same direction as what I want to be rowing in because as as a collective um, they they're my they're my backbone so if if my staff you know is isn't well uh, looked after and, and my staff is also not um, in, a, in a great place so it's very very important that you know as a collective players staff are all um, felt well respected and, and well looked after. Yeah. And, you know, I can just imagine there's business owners out there listening right now and they're thinking, but I don't have time to, you know, to call my staff or I'm busy with this. I'm already short of time. It sounds like, Catherine, what you're saying is if you don't make the time for your staff or your people or your players or whoever it is, you will, eventually they will leave. Like they will crumble. Are you, is that how you see it? 100%, 100% because, you need to make time for that stuff. Um, and if you, you know, from a business perspective, if you can't make time as a, as a business owner, put somebody in that position that can because by investing in that person to actually make sure that your well-being and your culture is being looked after, I think is a, is a super, super important um, part of people's businesses. So if you look to other businesses and, and why are they successful, I guarantee that it's got a trait of, of a great team and, and a great leadership um, team there that are actually pushing that same direction and, and making sure that, you know, all the employees are being looked after. And, you know, in, in the business side of things as well, and, and I am a big believer in this with, with my teams, it's, you know, organising, you know, a team bonding, whether it's, you know, um, going out for a dinner or a lunch. And, and the same thing applies to, to business owners, you know, taking out, you know, staff members to a lunch, you know, packing up the office, say, guys, today we're finishing up early. We're going to to the um, to the local cafe and we're going to have lunch and, you know, work's going to put it on. And, you know, people grow, you know, they, they grow a metre taller because, you know, they feel, they feel sorry, well respected and well looked after and again I always go back to it when you need something from that person they're going to go the extra mile for you because you are respecting them you are saying that you value them and when someone feels valued they will go the extra mile. Catherine how do you learn all this you're very insightful you're very insightful a lot of things that you mentioned as a leader very applicable in the business world uh, and one thing that I found Transforming a business is not a textbook thing. Transforming a team, I'm sure it's not a textbook. You know, this little thing. You know, I love the things that you mentioned. Take them to lunch. Make them happy so they grow. 
because in I always say to to my team as well, you know, especially my leadership team, I said, you can't get much from a beaten dog. You 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 literally cannot get much from a beaten dog. And how yeah. do you make dog happy to learn? Well, you don't beat them, right? And and you reward them. You get the tr- you get the treats out to reward them. <laughs> reward them. So how do you learn all this? Is it based on your experience? Like, um, I'm just interested to know yeah. how do leaders learn uh, so much insight that you share with us? Yeah, I kind of was going to even kind of go and ask, is there some football um, leader out there that you look <laughs> up to? Is there someone yeah. where you're getting this insight? Because it's really insightful. Everything you say, we can all relate to. Yeah, I think... Look, I'll be honest, I've not had any, um, you know, coaching or anything in this. So I've just, I've just always been a, a leader. I've just always had those natural abilities to, to bring people together. I don't know if it's the way I was brought up or, or the experience that I've had as a professional footballer. Um, and I'm sure that everything from such a young age and, and my upbringing and, um, you know, my footballing life and, and what I went through and, you know, maybe being, you know, uh, thrown into an older um, environment from a young age made me grow up really quickly. Um, probably a lot of that has a lot to do with the, the person that I am today, you know. It's made me mature and grow up very, very quickly. Um, but a lot of these things just come very natural to me. I'm, I've always just been a believer of an inclusive environment and, um, you know, always my, my home is always open for people. You know, I'm always uh, someone that, you know, loves to, to bring people um, into my home and, and just a, a loving person. Um, that's just the way I've been brought up and, and I think a lot of the experiences would have to say that, yeah, being, being involved in, in older um, environments from, from a young age I think probably got a lot to do with it. Um, probably one of the leaders that that I do sort of um, you know look up to and, and see a lot of is is Alex Ferguson, um, who was a, a very very successful manager for Manchester United, um, and I've read all of his books. Um, but you know, basically, he he was the man that that brought the team together. Um, we I have an, an understanding of him. You know, a lot of the players that still to this day you know, still look up to him and, and see him as, as a father figure to a lot of those, you know, young boys that, that came through that, that Manchester United um, 1999 team that, you know, he had nurtured for such a long time. But, you know, a fantastic leader that's so well respected and no matter where he goes in, in the football world, everyone knows, you know, of him and still just so respected and, and loved in, in the footballing world, whether you're a Manchester United fan or not. Yeah. It, um, just speaking about that, um, Catherine, in the business world, oh, we're talking about strengths now. In the business world, we're actually told to focus on people's strengths. How true is this in the world of sport, specifically football? You know, do you focus on people's strengths as well there? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, you've got you to gotta focus on their weaknesses as also, you know, especially depending on where or when you get the player in, you know, depending on what what age, you know. So, you know, if they come in at, at an older age and it might be a little bit hard to sort of, you know, change their technique, for instance, in the way they, they strike a ball, if they come in a lot, you know, in, in the older ages, we might say, well, this might be something that we can't 
rectifier. We can't change their technique, but you know what? We might be able to work with them in this aspect, which will still make them a better footballer. Um, I think it's important to, yes, work on their strength, but it's I think it's even more important to, to work on their weaknesses because when a, a person sees that they're improving in something that they're not so good at, that also brings confidence, which is it's another tool for them to actually be able to use. And, and I use this saying a lot, with um, especially with my younger players, um, I will give you the tools, but it's up to you to understand which tool to use at what time. So uh, that, that for me is super important and, and giving the player the confidence to have, you know, many different tools to be able to use in, in whatever the, the decision is at the time. Catherine, you know, when we uh, talk about, you know, uh, I'm in business, I'm, uh, you know, I thought when I was young, I will become a, a tennis player, a very good one. Obviously not in Australia. So when I say good, where I come from in Indonesia, that good is probably even average in here. But, you know, when we talk about sports, you know, business world, benchmark sports in many instances, right? We, we talk about teamwork. We, we always look at, hey, you know, we need to be like a team sport. But maybe we don't understand what the description of teamwork, uh, even though we relate it to a sport, because the understanding of sports is as far as we're watching it on channel 7, or maybe 9, 10. I'm not, uh, we're not connected to any channel. But, uh, uh, you know, how do you describe a good team uh, and a teamwork? Like, from from the lens of a very elite sport, what is a team? What is a good team? What is what is a teamwork? Like just the description itself, uh, I'm interested yeah. to know from you. I think the the most important part about teamwork is for me is buy-in. So you need to make them buy into what you want to achieve. So if the players are buying into what, the, the head coach is, is trying to achieve. So, you know, at, at our level, we want to win a championship. And to do that, we need to do, you know, um, you know X, Y, Z on, on the training pitch. So each player needs to buy into what we're wanting to do. If you have a player that's, you know, on the pitch and there's 90% of them saying, yeah, we're going to do that 30-minute run and we're going to run for the whole time, and then you've got one or two players that are saying, oh, no, stuff this, I don't want to do this run, I can't be bothered for this. Well, then it's about how do you get those two to buy in to the rest? Because if you've got those two over here already saying negative things, they're going to bring down, you know, the the rest of the team. So it's about getting the buy-in from the players to make that team environment. And it's, you know, the buy-in, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, you know. So, for for instance, in, in a football um in the football world, you know, for me as the coach, I don't know what goes on, um, you know, inside the change rooms. What are they talking about? You know, are the girls all getting along? And, and I always say this, you will not be best friends with every single one of your players or your, your colleagues, you know, because at the end of the day, you've got different interests, you've got different, um, you know, friendship groups. But the main thing is that when you come here, that we all come together for the same goal. And that goal is, to go on, go on the pitch, work very, very hard because your reward is going to be match day because match day when we win, we win together, you know, and, and that for me is the most important part 
what they go and do in, in their everyday life and, and when they're not with us, they can they can do whatever they want. But you're not always going to be best friends with, with your team. You're not going to be on the phone to them every day or, you know, hanging out with them every day. But collectively, when you come here, we all have the same goal and we this is what we want to achieve. And that's that's the most important part for me in, in a team environment. And I'm as a kebab shop. I got one staff, Natalie, right? And how do I make her join my goal and really believe in my goal? Like, I wake up 3 o'clock every morning. I, I want to make the best kebab every day. And Natalie come at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, working for me. How do I make Natalie really bind to my goal to be the best kebab shop in Melbourne? You make well, first bad, us. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be going for a kebab after this, uh, after this <laughs> chat because you're making me want a kebab. Um, I hope none of my players are listening because <laughs> kebabs are definitely not good for you. Um, but, but look, I think when you see that there's – there's one that's sort of not pulling in the same direction. I think that as a leader, we have to recognise that. And sometimes you need to do more with them individually, you know, whether it's a, a one-on-one chat, whether it's, uh, you know, a few more phone calls than what you normally have to do to your other employees or your other athletes that are that are on board and find out why. Why are they not? invited like why are they not you know interested why are they not engaging what's going on you know um and and how can we help them to actually buy in and and get up to speed with what we want to achieve you know because sometimes we don't know what's going on in their personal lives and we don't know um you know where they're at you know are they not feeling included do they feel like they're not part of the team you know there's got to be a reason why that that person um, doesn't feel included, and I think it's our job as leaders to find out the reason why, and then see, and then you can reassess, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, and, and change your strategy in the way you you're talking to them, or the way you know you're delivering your message, and then you can see if there's any changes. And if there's not, again, then you try a different way, and, and keep trying different ways to try and bring that person up to speed with everybody else. Yeah. Well, Natalie, I call you tomorrow. On one-on-one. Yes. Yeah, we'll have our chat about my um, <laughs> yes. I'm performing at the kebab shop. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, Catherine? I, when I watch football games, I often think about, you know, we, we see uh, teams out there and sometimes they're losing by uh, quite a substantial amount or they're not playing as what you'd expect. And then halftime kicks in, you know, you go off, you do whatever the coach does and all that secret stuff, and you haven't got much time to actually speak to them. How important is it as a coach, you've got, I don't know how long you've got, five minutes, 10 minutes, to actually turn them around? I've always been curious to know that because I've seen teams, they've played terrible first half, you know, first half, their coach has said something to them and they come back out and it's a brand new team playing. So what, yeah, this- how do you manage that as a coach? It looks difficult because Gus and I can tell you we sit through lots of meetings and we have an hour or an hour and a half to get our messages across. And yet you've got, what, five, ten minutes to do this? We have five minutes yeah. between breaks on our kebab shop. 
to make okay. sure that during one <laughs> time we hit it hard, ne? Okay, those ones, yes, those are the five-minute ones. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Now, look in in a professional environment, we have uh, generally fifteen minutes for half time, and out of that fifteen minutes, I would probably talk for a maximum of five minutes, if that. Um, I always make sure that my messages are clear. Uh, myself personally, I always stick to three points. I won't say more than three points to the team of things that we want to change, um, and depending on on where we're at, you know, in in that game, will be depending on what you know, my last words are to them. For instance, if we're coming to the to the break and we're losing 2-0, you know, my last words might be to them, well, you're losing 2-0, they've scored two goals in, in one half, why can't we go out there now and score three goals and win this game? You know, so if they can do it, why can't we? You know, so I think it's important that the message that you're putting onto, the, putting onto your players, it's, it's a clear message. It's something that they can have belief in um, and they need to believe in your message. They need to have belief in you, that your three points in what you've said are what they believe in because if they don't believe in what you're saying, it's very, very hard for them to go on the field and actually execute what you've said. So, um, one, you know, the team has to have belief in, in their leader, um, which I think is, is super, super important. But I also find that half time. The messages need to be clear and you don't want to be, you know, overloading them with, you know, 10, 20 different messages because, you know, what's going to be sticking there for them to go out in that, that second half? Because if you overload them, then they're not going to take anything from them. So if you only keep to, for myself, three key points that, that I would be um, focused on, if I feel like other things need to be addressed individually, that's when I would use the rest of my staff, whether it be my assistant coaches, to go and speak to an individual player one-on-one and see if they can rectify a certain problem that we've identified within the game. Um, but other than that, the message just needs to be clear um, and the motivational um, piece at the end needs to be something that those players actually believe that they can do. Yeah. Catherine, I have a question, right? So... As a coach, you must, uh, sorry, maybe must is uh, wrong. I've never been a coach, but just <laughs> assume it's happened in business. In business, uh, often we know as a leader that our season, you know, say we are running on a financial calendar, we know that we will not hit our budget. We know because it's three months to go and we just lose. In the game, I'm sure during half time there's a there is a time where it's not two nil, it's five nil, and you know in the elites football to have another half time to actually hit it when you already lose five, it's kind of impossible in your mind. Maybe nothing impossible, but just assume it's impossible. How? I'm not asking about what you say to them. What I want to know is what do you say to yourself to stay motivated it, even when you as a leader with your expertise know that we are losing here but I like because that's what we face as a small business owners medium business owners throughout the COVID they know they, they face a lot of challenges and they staff so I got Natalie know that my kebab shop only have two people coming every day not 200 anymore but I need to make sure that she stay with me is there any strategy how to motivate even when the situation is losing? 
100%. I think it's important, um, and I've had this in, in previous uh, teams, that whether you're losing or winning, that you need to keep working at the same intensity and the same work rate, you know. So don't start with bad habits because if you just because you're losing 5 nil, it doesn't mean that that's an excuse now for you to start picking up bad habits because the next game's going to come and you know what? The score starts at nil all again. So if you take those bad habits, you know, into that game of 5 nil just because you've lost that game and you start thinking that the bad habits are okay, then when we come to the next match, you're going to think that those habits are fine to take in. So for me, it's very, very important that we keep true to ourselves. Um, we keep playing in, in a football way. I always talk about you keep playing your style of football. So you keep playing the way that you want to play. You keep sticking to our game plan and, and what we've what we've said, and that still stays the same because you might lose this game, but you might win the next ten in a row because of you sticking to to your values and and you sticking to sticking to your good habits. But if you think that you can just throw the towel in just because you've lost one game 5-0. That's not the mentality of the players that I want to be coaching. I want to be coaching players that, you know, can bounce back because unfortunately in, in football and in life, it's not always you're not always going to have the wins because it's easy to coach a team that's always winning. It's it's the team, it's the the ones that you can coach that when you got the losses because Bad things are going to happen in life, whether it's in sport, in life, in business, but it's about what type of resilience do you have as a person to be able to bounce back and to keep true to yourself, to be able to keep your values high and keep keep your environment in, in the best possible way because you can't drop drop your game, you can't drop your guard just because of one, you know, bad game. I think it's super, super important that, you know, we stick to the game plan and we stick to what we want to achieve because uh, eventually you will get back to winning. But if you accept losing and you accept that, then that just become losing them will just become a habit. Thank you. Really inspirational, Catherine. <laughs> yes. You know, I was just thinking, Catherine, you know, in football, if we had a team of all strikers or all defenders, obviously the team would not be balanced. Same as in business, you know, we recruit people based on, you know, we, we want a team that can do lots of things on based on different skills. How important is this skill set in a team in the world of football? And how would it relate, how can that kind of relate to business? Is it important to have a team? Because, I mean, if we had everyone as a striker in a football team, it wouldn't work as cohesively and as a great team. So how important is skill set? Yeah, it's, it's huge, you know, and, and obviously, again, I speak about my experiences, you know, as, as a coach across from grassroots through to, to um, you know, the professional stage and, and you'll see it at the younger ages, every kid wants to be a striker because every kid wants to score goals and every kid wants to be the, the hero, you know, or you've got mum and dad saying that they're going to give them $50, $50 per goal, you know, so they all want to be strikers. So um, it's very, very important that, you know, especially in an elite environment that you have a good balance of, of players, you know, whether it's, you know, your strikers, your midfielders, your defenders, you know, where it's it's positional, but also you need to have the good balance of, you know, your experienced players 
but also your younger players that are coming through because for me it's it's a, a very, very important one to make sure that we have a good balance of, of players within our team and we've got younger kids coming through that can actually see those older experienced players because they can actually learn and take from their experiences um, on and off the pitch, you know, because you can see, you know, an experienced player knows, you know, for instance, you know, how to prepare themselves for a preseason. They know that coming into preseason that their, their, um, you know, their their training needs to be at a certain level come day one, um, where you know, more inexperienced player might think, oh, you know what, I don't really need to do those extra runs in preseason because we're going to start in a couple of weeks, where. The experienced players know what is needed come come day one and what is needed to manage their bodies throughout the season. Um, so for me, uh, in my team, especially right now, I have a good core of experienced players, but I've also got a good good balance of younger players because I think it's very important that we're not just planning just for the now. We've always got to plan for the future, and it's a it's a succession plan of. Um, you know, turning the wheel because as one older player starts to, you know, retire or is coming towards the back end of their um, careers, that we make sure that if someone does leave, we've got somebody to fill their shoes, um, you know, straight away, which is super, super important for me um, to keep a, a good dynamic across the whole team. So, Catherine, if I relate that to a business, so you have a striker, business got salespeople. They're the one who always hold the trophy at the end of the year. You know, how many goals, how many sales. But then we have, we have the unsung heroes, the defender, the people in operation that is actually the more salespeople sell, the harder they work, right? Um, do you rotate them? How do you make the unsung heroes feel as important? Because if everyone want to be a striker, then football team will lose because there's no one defending. But in the reality of life where the striker, the salespeople, you know, the, the, this this arena of the one who kicking the goal get more glory in the external outlook, how do you balance that in the team so people still want to do the rest of the job that is important for the team, right? How do, how do you manage I think that? that that comes down to the leader right? And the leader needs to make sure that that person is being rewarded um, in other ways, you know, making them feel part of, of the of the goal achievement. So yeah. if that person is achieving all these goals, making them feel valued, rewarded, make them feel good about what they're doing. You know, for, for us, you know, in, in a football perspective where it's, you know, again, like you said, the strikers scoring the goals, but the striker can't score the goals if the midfields aren't doing the hard work and playing them the ball, you know. So making sure that, you know, you are rewarding those people that are doing the hard work underneath and um, because every every team is always built on its foundations, you know, and without that foundation of, of people doing doing the job, then for me the roof doesn't stay on, you know. You, you could say it in, in that way. So, um, I think it's super, super important that, again, as a leader, you need to recognise that those people are doing the hard work, are doing the, the 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 tough stuff for the team and that we are rewarding them and making sure that, you know, sometimes it's just, again, a phone call or, you know, a pat on the back saying, hey, I know that, you know, John only achieved his 
his budgets this year and he only got what, what he's achieved because of what you've done in, in the background. And sometimes it's not even about, you know, a, a money reward. It's about the boss actually putting pulling them into the office and saying, I know that John would never have reached his his KPIs this year because without you working in in the background, don't worry, you'll you'll be rewarded for for your efforts or whatever it may be. Look, look I know we're, we're almost out of time, Catherine, but I have to ask you this about data because I was looking la- yesterday evening about on the website whoscored.com and, you know, football is becoming this increasingly data-driven sport and it's amazing how much is being captured with these athletes, you know, aggression, speed, etc. even with the GPS player trackers and things like that. What lessons can business owners actually take away from that, the fact that, you know, so much data is being collated even in sport? I think data can be great. But it can also be very, very bad, you know, because, um, you know, you can look at data on, on a piece of paper and, and it can look like, you know, people are in, oh, wow, this person's doing so, so fantastic because their data shows that they're doing fantastic. But you don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff of what goes on. And, and I'll leave you guys on, on this. Our players report to to us a daily um, schedule. It's it's a wellness plan where we know um, how many hours they're sleeping. Um, you know what type of sleep quality they've had. You know, do they have um, you know any soreness within their bodies? Do they have you know cold and flu symptoms and and so on? There's there's a series of things that they report, and I get that report every morning. And if I just go purely just based on that report, it's only showing me what they've inputted, but. I think it's super, super important that myself as a head coach, if I see that something sparked or that's something that's come up and it's flagged, I don't just purely just go off that data and off that report, that I find the time to speak to that player and I say, hey, you only slept five hours last night. Is, is everything okay? Like, you know, what's going on? Is everything all right? And when you have that conversation, then you start to get into a little bit more of why they only slept that five hours or, you know, where you can just look and say, oh, Kelly only slept five hours. Oh, why is she only having five hours of sleep? You know, you can start speculating certain things, but you don't know really what the reason why is that she didn't sleep those five hours, you know. So for me, you know, data can be great and I think it's it's awesome, especially that we're, we're touching on a lot of this. There's so many different um, programs and resources, but I still believe in the the human touch of having that conversation and getting a feel for, you know, how they're feeling or why why something's come up. And I, I'm a big believer and some people might say that I'm a little bit old school around that, but, you know, a conversation is always, you know, held a lot more than me looking at a piece of paper and telling me, you know, what they feel and how they feel um, today. Brilliant. Look, Gus, I'm going to hand it over to you. You like to do your wrap-up um, at the end of each leader talk. So thank you. You've got thank a lot you. to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, Catherine, I just want to say uh, you are our first uh, elite coach from a sports leadership that we have uh, in our leader talk. And uh, if we not have a exact time that, uh, bind this conversation. I can stay here for five hours uh, because you are so insightful. So let me share 
back what I like from what you mentioned from the lens now uh, of a leader myself in an organization. Let the football do the talking. Let's result speak. I think that's very powerful because in sports or in business, there's people sitting in the grandstand, on the grandstand, will tell you everything, but they can't even kick the ball. And the internal strength of keep going and let this result or the uh, football do the talking is important. Keep your values, uh, respect, and have the right attitude. I just love that. Hard works beat talent. Learning never stops. And I think in today's world, if someone said that I'm the best today when the world are moving so fast, whether it's sports, business, or just general life, we will fail because my son knows technology better than me now. You know, so I think we need to keep learning. I'm only as good as people around me. Okay, I, I understand that. I think a lot of people will agree, but I like your second statement. So let me repeat. I'm only as good as people around me, so I need to look after them. Catherine, congratulations as a coach, as a leader. Every statement you put is always followed by your responsibility to look after your team, your staff, and the people around you. I think that is a quality. Then I ask, what happens if we're losing? Which is, in life, we don't win every day. Well, don't start with bad habits, even when you are losing. Keep it up. Keep the keep true to ourselves. Keep the game plan. Stick to the good habit and your values, and you will win. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. I really learned a lot myself. Thank you so much for donating your time for our leader talk. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been it's been great to, to chat with you this afternoon. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk or for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.